Well, what a blessing to see you all here. As you can tell, Brother DeGarmo is not here. He is taking care of some military training, I think. We sure are blessed to have him as our Sunday school teacher. He does a great job. It's a huge help to me on top of that. And his current series through Psalm 119 has really been some of the best I've ever heard. I've been getting a lot out of it, and I, I know that you are too. Pray for him while he's away. Pray for his family as well. So since all of our preachers are busy teaching elsewhere, or will be in the junior church hour, you're stuck with me. Amen. Well, Brother Petraco's in here, but bless his heart. He just got back from Oregon, loading up for the next trip, laboring on the project. I sure didn't want to put more on his plate either. So um, he would have said yes if I forced the issue. Amen. The last time I filled in for Sunday school was when COVID-19 tore through our church. There was 11 of us in here, <laughs> including me. And, yeah, it was brutal. Um, I checked the numbers because I thought it was eight. I thought there was eight of us. I guess three people snuck in that I, I didn't remember. It sure was fun, though, anyway. I mentioned then how much I disliked trying to give a one-week lesson. We've only been in John for four and a half years, so I hate trying to do something in one week. It's very difficult. And, and really, the last several times I've filled in, I've addressed some things that might be considered by some as controversial or maybe by many, depending on your opinion of things. And so why break that trend? <laughs> so I'd like to discuss a current political issue in our nation and in our state, and that is the transgender issue. Brother Mike Sullivan said, uh, what direction are you heading? He had the songbook. He was ready to pick a song for our theme. I said, transgenderism. Jesus Christ the same. It's a good choice, brother. Um, this is obviously making headlines throughout the nation in several areas. I've really not addressed it because, look, Sunday mornings I'm preaching Christ for sure. That's our focus. Um, and I just don't really like to have to get into the weeds sometimes. But this is an issue that we can no longer ignore. Um, and so it's making news all over the place. One is where a biological male this month won the Miss Silver State pageant and um, is now going to be in competition for Miss Nevada, which, if one, would be in competition for Miss America. Miss Silver State as a biological male. If you're following this issue, then you know our state drafted Bill 1217 an act to promote continued fairness in women's sports. And the idea was to prevent transgendered athletes from competing in women's sports. The original bill was applied to public schools, including kindergarten through the collegiate level. It seemed Governor Nome was ready to sign that and then sent it back for some revisions to remove the collegiate level. Um, and I'm not going to get into why she did that. I 
I'm not on the bandwagon of those that are dissing her yet. I know many are. I think she makes a very valid point when it comes to trying to battle the NCAA in a state of one million people. Uh, do we really have the resources to do that? But I'm not going to get into that. Um, but I will say this. It's going to destroy scholarship opportunities for women if it is not addressed properly. Currently making national headlines are biological males who are running track as women. And they're setting state records. And when they ran as men, they were mediocre. But now they're, they're smashing state in track, a couple seconds is an eternity. And we're seeing all this take place everywhere. Why is, why is this an issue that these males can transition to a female sport and set all these records? Well, because there's a difference between males and females. And I know I'm in friendly territory this morning, but and, and we're not really going to accomplish much today. I just want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> Just compare Olympic records between men and women, and you will see the differences. That is among the elites in our nation, in our world, athletically. These are at the very top of what they do. And even among the most elite athletes in the world, there is a 10 to 15% gap on average between males and females when you look at the Olympic records. For example... The javelin throw. The current Olympic record for men is 90.57 meters, while the women's record is 71.53 meters. That is 21% further for the men than the women's on the Olympic record. It's even greater when you look at the world records. And not to mention, the, the women's javelin is 15% shorter and 27.7% lighter. These are, these are undeniable facts about the difference. The website boysversuswomen.com cites the difference. It, it takes what's called the 2016 NBNO Invitational. It's a, a new balance competition for track and field. It took the 2016 boys and the 2016 women Olympics and compared the two. And they excluded the events that had weighted things to throw like the javelin and the discus and things like that. So those were put aside. And what they did is they listed the top eight finishers of the high school boys, and they listed the top eight finishers of the women's Olympics for that year. So there's a total of 16 places, if you're following me here, that you could finish in. There were 29 events where they... I think there was 29 total events... Yeah, 29 total events. They cited the female Olympians only defeated the high school boys in one event. And that was the 5,000-meter race. In fact, they really did well in that one. Top three finishers were women. I don't know what it is about 5,000 meters, but give women long enough and they'll beat you down. Amen. <laughs> um, out of the 29 events, there were 16 events where the high school boys finished in all top eight places over Olympic women. You cannot deny the difference. The remaining 13 events in seven of those, only one woman finished in the top eight. Now, the transgender movement is one of the major issues of our day. Not just in athletics, 
but in a whole host of ways. This is a huge domino that's being pushed over that's going to have far-reaching consequences. On February the 25th, our nation's House of Representatives passed the Equality Act. I don't know if you're following this, but you need to be tuned into it. And it's now going to go before the Senate for approval. They tried this in 2019, but it failed once it reached the Senate. But now there's different folks in there. And there's all kind of opinions of how far-reaching this will actually be, but some statements are very alarming if it's true. The Equality Act seeks to amend the 1964 Civil Rights Act to protect people from being discriminated based on sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, and other services, as well as access to public accommodations such as restaurants. Well, that doesn't sound too bad on the surface. So what are the dangers of the Equality Act? I have looked over the bill, I've read most of it, and I've looked through it all, and you can do so just by going online. And it has a lot of overarching language, and so it's really hard to know just how far-reaching it's going to be. Now, we've kept the government out of our church. We are not a 501c3, and our academy is not accredited because we don't want government in our business. We don't want government in our business for the podcast. But for sure, it's a huge step here, um, this Equality Act. It's a huge step in silencing Christians in public. And as more and more people come out of a closet, they're trying to shove us into one. Many are suggesting that even the idea of, of silencing us to the church house is even up debate because they're saying that this bill would intrude into the church. Now, it's hard to understand how a bill would have such polar opposite interpretations, but it does. One side says this, one side says that, and it's hard to know what all is going to happen here. Some have suggested the Equality Act could designate churches as public accommodations, meaning churches would be forced to accept government mandates about sexual orientation and gender identity. If this is true, it would threaten free speech from the pulpit, which we are already seeing in Canada. Church restrooms could be used however one identifies themselves. It would prevent us from hiring staff according to our biblical beliefs. And it would prevent Christians from counseling those who are gender-confused to align with their birth identity, their birth assignment. These are still very big what-ifs. And these are just a few areas where it could impact our church. But there are many areas that this bill, if it's passed, it will affect everyone, and especially how it will impact women. I will say that the Republicans are right to call this a war on women. One thing the bill does clearly state, and is very troubling, is that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 would be of no defense. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was meant to protect people from breaking their conscience with God as they went about their daily lives and worked in their businesses. And and I've got to say this, but the truth is, the very fact that they passed a Religious Restoration Act proves that the Constitution holds no weight. I thought this was already protected under the First Amendment. Why did Bill Clinton have to sign a Freedom uh, Restoration Act? I don't understand it. 
a Freedom of Religion Restoration Act. Now, the Equality Act states this. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 shall not provide a claim concerning or a defense to a claim under a covered title or provide a basis for challenging the application or enforcement of a covered title. What does all that mean? Well, let's use the now famous example of Jack Phillips who was denied for making a cake for a same-sex marriage couple based on his religious beliefs. Everybody familiar with that case? Well, he, he eventually won his case, partially anyhow. And he won his case because we have certain freedoms. And under the Restoration Act there, the, the Freedom of Religion Restoration Act, but under the Equality Act, he would apparently have no protection. Just a quick side note here, as I was studying for this, I learned that he is now back in court because he refused to make a cake for a transgendered individual. The cake was going to be blue on the outside, pink on the inside to do a gender reveal, transition, if you will. So there's much more I could get into on the dangers of what is taking place, but if that Equality Act passes, then he would presumably have no protection. Now just imagine if that impacts the church. Suffice to say, if you thought it was bad, it's going to get worse. Even in Nebraska, they are now considering teaching kindergartners gender identity. And 11-year-olds would be studying pansexuality, where there is no limit in sexual choice, and also teaching demigenderism, where gender, gender identity involves feeling a partial but not a full connection to a particular gender identity. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Very familiar passages here. I'm not giving you anything new. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go to the beginning. See what God had to say in verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. Is there any question then that God created two distinct genders? In Genesis chapter 2, you'll find that God even created those two differently. Man from the dust of the ground, women, Eve, from the side of Adam's rib. They're even created different. There have always been outliers, okay? But for some 6,000 years, humanity as a whole has agreed there is male and female. It's always been understood that this has led to biological differences. And those differences have been defined in relation to the ability to be fruitful and multiply. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines a female as the, quote, sex which conceives and brings forth young. And he defines males as pertaining to the sex that procreates young. Meaning, male and female have different secrets. Everybody know this? <laughs> if you do an inter internet search, even today, for the definition of male and female, you'll still find the same definitions. This has always been understood. And this terminology is even used in the electrical and mechanical areas because there are female ends and there are male ends because they are compatible together. I don't think I need to explain any further. 
Go to Genesis chapter 6. Let's read verses 17 through 20. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing, of all flesh, two of every sort, shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female." And we'll stop reading there, actually. As you know, God was going to destroy the earth with a flood because of the wickedness of mankind. And no doubt there were gender issues then. So when God tells Noah who and what animals need to be in the ark, He says, Thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives. Concerning the animal kingdom, God says, Bring in, of every, every kind, bring in two, a male and a female. The husbands needed their wives. The animals needed one male and one female. Why? Because the end of verse, is it verse 20 or verse 19? I might have wrote this down wrong. Oh, I did mean to read verse 20. Of fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Why do we need a husband and his wife and his sons and their wives and a male and a female? To keep them alive. To procreate. Amen? Uh, obviously then, there's a biological difference between a male and a female. Let's go to another familiar passage. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we'll read verses 20 through 28. Certainly we could read a lot more in this chapter, but let's just look at these real quick. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him... From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things." Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And so first we see that sexual sins are nothing new. Even back in Genesis, we find the very wicked city of Sodom. But here we find out how mankind has become so corrupted. They changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. And for this reason, God will give people over to vile affections, where they leave the natural use of their biological identity, which allows for procreation. And we see that this goes against nature, the very thing that God was saying, bring into the ark 
common sense, male and female. God here says that this goes against nature. And because they do not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. What does that mean? To do those things which are not convenient. Those things that are not fit to be done. In other words, and I'm not being ugly, but it goes against all common sense. And this is what happens to a people who reject God. We see that a society can actually go against clear scientific fact. And think about this. But the homosexual and transgender movement disproves the theory of evolution. First of all, for species to have evolved, as is claimed, it took a male and female in nature. The theory of evolution uses the term natural selection, which is said to be traits which increase the likelihood of survival and reproduction. It is said this will become more common within a population or species over time. Well, how can natural selection and evolution be true when what we are witnessing is a move by humans who are supposedly the most evolved of all the species? Now they are using their bodies, which goes against nature, and the biological ability to reproduce, and therefore it directly contradicts natural selection. Biology is the study of life. To have life to continue, there must be a biological male and a biological female. It is really biological. But we have moved into the realm of bio-illogical. There's even a move today which suggests the term biological male or female is now a trans slur. Now, let's consider the word transgender. Gender is defined as male or female. And of course, all of this is changing very rapidly before our eyes. And while there are only two genders biologically and scientifically, that's not up for debate, there are now over 60 gender identities socially. Trans means to go across or beyond, such as transgress. It means to go through into another state or place, such as translate or transportation. And it means changing thoroughly or transforming from one gender to another. Now that sounds elementary, right? Then what am I getting at? The very word transgender validates one is born with a different gender because they are admitting to transitioning to the opposite gender. How can one transition if there wasn't already an obvious obvious gender to transition from? Now, even though this all goes against God's law of nature and God's word, we should not be surprised that the lost world is adopting this thinking. This is what lost people do. This is what people without God will trend towards over successive generations of rejecting God, which we have done in this nation. We saw it in the Old Testament and we see it today. And what interests me this morning is not how the world could come to these conclusions, but how has this infiltrated the church and that people can actually say biblically that it's okay? How have people who claim to believe God's Word arrived at where scientific fact is now being discarded? And I believe this needs to be considered because there's no getting around this. 
There is no more thinking like maybe we did 30 years ago that this is such lunacy that it's never going to reach the church. It's here. And I can tell you all that that Leviticus warns against. It'll be here. They thought we were nuts when we started saying you approve same-sex marriage. It's going to lead to this, this. Oh, no, it won't. And it is. And I think we have to address it. And I'll tell you this. I, of course, I wouldn't give any personal information away. I've already counseled this in our church. It's here. And we've got to start coming to terms with how to deal with this. So how have people who claim to be followers of God's Word arrived at the place where they can say there's nothing biblically wrong with transgenderism? And I always feel like I've got to give these disclaimers when I talk about these things, but I want you to understand I'm not against people who are struggling. And, and you've got to understand my mindset when I say that. What I'm telling you is we now have a generation of young folks that have been indoctrinated. And I think they're searching for truth. Now, I'm against the adults who know better and teach this mess. But for our children, man, kindergarten. California's talking about going now to preschool. And it just breaks my heart that there's, there are people that are genuinely struggling because that's all they've been taught. And so I'm not against those. I want you to know that. But those adults now have corrupted a generation of young minds. And they're genuinely asking the question, what is truth? And, and man, it stirs me up when a parent of a, of a prepubescent child will inject them with hormones. It just breaks my heart. That kid doesn't know. They can't process that. But all because when they were five, they look cute in that little dress they put on. And mom or dad says, goes along with it. And now these children are being forced into therapies that they, they shouldn't even be processing. I really do want to help those who are struggling with gender dysphoria. It used to be called gender identity disorder, but they don't want to call it a disorder anymore. What's happening is people are playing word games and they're trying to use semantics to get around God's word where it is otherwise very clear. So here are some things I think you need to know. This isn't going to be all-inclusive because, like I said, it's always changing. It's very fluid, and there are additions every year. According to those who identify as trans and Bible-believing Christians, there are three classifications. There's gender identity, gender expression, and biological gender. This is all outlined on BibleAndHomosexuality.org which is a pro-LGBTQ plus website. Gender identity is how one thinks of themselves. It's one's psychological sense of what their gender is. In one's mind, they may think of themselves as a man or a woman. Gender expression is how one presents their gender through how they live, how they behave, what they wear. This is said to vary by culture and from place to place. For example, historically in America, it's been understood that a skirt belongs to a woman and not a man. But you can go to some cultures and the men will wear something that resembles a skirt, though they do not call it a skirt and they would be offended if you did. You go to some of the Polynesian countries, for example. And so it does vary. And, and by the way, in Bible times, we all wore robes. That's a whole other thing. Biological gender includes the parts... Uh, you're born with. This can be identified through chromosomes, uh, 
and the fact that one's biological sex affects their body shape and their hormones. Amen. Anyway. <clears throat> so, one who is transgendered is one who has transitioned from their biological sex to the opposite sex. Therefore, a trans woman is one who is born a biological male, was assigned the male gender at birth, but now their gender identity is female, and they are transitioning to female gender expression, and they may have surgery in the process. So what is claimed is that the transitioning, it's a way that, here's a quote from this website, transitioning is a way of bringing gender identity, gender expression, and biological sex more into line with each other. Therefore, it's not really gender confusion, but rather it's an attempt to align one's gender identity and gender expression and biological gender altogether. So what's their angle biblically? They take the Genesis account that I read earlier where God says He created them male and female, and they say that God is only addressing the biological sex, not the gender identity or the gender expression. Therefore, they will admit, yes, I have been born with these parts, but that's not my identity or my expression. And God over there wasn't talking about any of that. He was just talking about bi biology. And because there are intersex people, once known as hermaphrodites, and that's a whole nother lesson, it cannot be said by them then that there are two biological sexes because there are some that are born intersex. And because of that, they in turn say, see, you can't use the argument that God makes no mistakes. Third, they say one can't use the argument that gender confusion is wrong because after all, all trans people are trying to do is bring into line what is out of line from their birth assignment. And now, in many states now, you can check X on a birth certificate that you are neither male nor female at birth. Therefore, they remove the arguments that God created them male and female and that God makes no mistakes and that gender confusion is wrong. Eliminate that and now you have so-called Bible-believing transgenders. And so their closing argument is this, quote, should our biological sex take priority over our sense of identity? The Scriptures don't tell us to do that. That's something imposed on the Scriptures, end quote. In this sense, Deuteronomy 22.5, where it says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. It's never being disobeyed so long as one is dressing according to their gender expression. And from baptistnews.com, which is not anything close to being Baptist by doctrine, there was an article which said this, quote, Instead, they are declaring an identity much deeper than clothing. They are saying that they are dressing outwardly to match who they are inwardly, end quote. The article does go on to say, let me give you another quote, most transgendered persons will tell you they believe God has in fact created them as either male or female. The problem is how they have been labeled by others who are not God. Did you catch that? 
In other words, their biological birth and appearance has nothing to do with who they really are on the inside. So it all comes down to one's own interpretation of the Bible and one's own feelings. How many times have we heard that's dangerous? And they talk of how the New Testament was a dramatic turn towards grace. They really are adding to the Word of God. One man on BaptistNews.com, he's a, he's a deacon at the First Baptist Church in the town where he lives. He is firmly convinced that God speaks today beyond the Old and New Testaments. Are you hearing what I'm saying? These are Baptist churches. And listen, he says, to believe that God has given us uh, all we need in the Bible is to deny, quote, the reality of a living church indwelled by the living, still speaking Spirit of God. That is the reality of the church we see in Acts. A church prayerfully seeking out a newly spoken word in response to real life questions for which it found no clear answers in the already spoken words of Scripture. He goes on to say, I believe much damage has been done to the church and to our brothers and sisters in Christ by Christians lacking faith in the idea that the church can yet listen for a new word from God and must stand ever willing to breathe that word, that new word, into life by changing its mind. It's a church that worships a Christ still tightly entombed in the past, not living in Christ, who still has a word to speak to His own. End quote. So for those of us who say all we need is in God's Word, we're living in the past. God is still speaking to us. So the question is, how, do, how does one combat the issue with the Bible when they say they already believe the Bible? How can we take them to Psalm 139, 13-60? Where it speaks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made and that we were curiously wrought and fashioned. How can we take them to Genesis and the creation account? How can we take them to where Hannah prayed for a man-child? Since the whole idea of transgenderism is based upon not denying who you feel you really are, I could suggest Matthew 16, 24, which says, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow Me. Perhaps we could go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. I don't have all the answers. I'm learning a lot as I deal with people that are going through this. And it's our young people. I know the Word of God has the answers. I know prayer is critical in opening blinded minds. And I personally have seen, if I can use the term success, by simply repetitively giving the Word of God. Because it eliminates my opinions, it eliminates my thoughts. You say, what do you quote? The verses I know that they're going to twist. But if you keep giving them, I've seen it eventually penetrate their minds and their hearts. 
I don't have the answers. But what we have to do is give the Word of God and then allow the Spirit of God to do a work in the heart. And I believe we have to continue to speak the truth in love and demonstrate roles which distinguish male and female. I know people say, well, they were, they had, men had ear piercings in the Old Testament. Well, that's, they sure did. But listen, I tell you, in our culture today, you're blurring the line between a male and a female. And we said all those things back then. And here we are. We're in a mess. A man needs to dress to look like a man. A woman needs to dress to look. We need to show those distinctions. Not because we're being ugly, but because we want to demonstrate Bible principles. I'm not accomplishing much today. I understand that. My mind is filled with so much that needs to be said. Maybe one day we'll have to do a a series on this, but let me close with why it's so important we try to reach those who may still be reachable. First of all, hell awaits the lost. Let me cite you some statistics from the Trevor Project. They are a nonprofit organization who are focused on suicide prevention among LGBTQ youth under the age of 25. And because they are LGBTQ, uh, pro LGBTQ, these numbers are not drummed up by some right wing guy trying to show you that LGBTQ is wrong. And this is what they cite 40% of LGBTQ respondents seriously considered attempting suicide in the past 12 months. With more than half of transgenders and non-binary youth having seriously considered suicide. 68% of LGBTQ youth have reported symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder in the past two weeks, including more than three in four transgender and non-binary youth. 48% of LGBTQ youth reported engaging in self-harm in the past 12 months, including over 60% of transgender and non-binary youth. 55% of LGBTQ youth reported symptoms of major depressive disorder in the past two weeks, including more than two in three in transgender and non-binary youth. Nearly 15% of LGBTQ respondents attempted suicide in the past 12 months, including more than one in five transgender and non-binary youth. And if you look at the statistics, they break them down from the ages of 13 to 17 and then 18 to 25. And all those numbers are higher for 13 through 17. And why shouldn't they be? Bodies are transitioning through a natural process, and now they're trying to make sense of all they were told when they were young, and it just causes all kinds of mental problems. Another study by the National Center for Transgender Equality and the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force released in October of 2010 showed a, quote, 41% suicide rate among transgender people. And how this is, quote, more than 25 times the rate of the general population, which is at 1.6%. And among trans people, ages 18 through 44, the suicide attempt rate was 45%. Now, they will claim that the reason for this suicide is because there's wackos like me who will try to counsel them, you need to identify with your biological gender. See, you're pressuring them and it's causing them to want to commit suicide. They never look at it as a spiritual battle and how the real problem is they're looking for answers that only God can give. They need a right relationship with God. This is a very serious problem within our youth. 
I have dealt with homosexuality in our school, transgenderism in our young guys. It is a serious issue. It is here. It is in this church. There is no getting around it. Well, if I could just get my kid in the academy. It's not the answer. No, I want your kid in the academy. And I, I say never before in history has there been a time that Christian education is more needed than now. Because at least they're going to get some biblical teaching here. But that's not the answer. The answer is the heart. You can put Adam in even a most perfect environment and they're still going to sin against God. You can put any one of us in there. It's a very serious problem. We have to preach Christ being as uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We need conviction and compassion for our youth who have been indoctrinated with lies from the devil. And if someone tries to accuse you of being homophobic or transphobic, you just look at them and say, no, you're heterophobic. That'll blow their mind. What? I'm not phobic. Why are you telling me I'm homophobic? You must be heterophobic. By the way, that's now becoming a thing. We need to be in prayer. We need to be watching because it'll reveal itself in a harmful way if we don't catch it early. And we'll, we'll find the cut marks. We'll find the suicide note. We'll be checking them into a clinic. We as God's people, we must show Christ. We must preach Christ. And we as parents, we better raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Much more needs to be said on that, but that's all we have time for today. Let's pray.